Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. If you happen to have, I'm sure you remember this around the top of your head, is that I gave a message about six weeks ago or so from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and 5, and I'm going to kind of continue a little bit of that uh, in 2 Corinthians 5. So if you're there, um, I want to turn there. This is the latter part of the chapter. And so, uh, first part of the chapter is we have this treasure in earthen vessels. All that beautiful language the Apostle Paul gives about knowing this value that we have in Christ. And yet it's housed within something as fragile as a jar, a clay jar. And that's an amazing thing. You'd think the treasure would be in some kind of big case or whatever no, the Apostle Paul, it, because we are fragile, and, and we are common, and, for, and treasure, and earthen vessels in Bible days was common, and when you go there to look for special artifacts or whatever, and you go through uh, these big bins of dirt, and they sift through it, you find just gobs of little pieces that came off of broken jars in that time period, and so the Apostle Paul talks about that, but when you get toward the end of the chapter, you find some very interesting words, and we'll look at that, and then we'll kind of go into our outline. Beginning at verse 18 of this passage of Scripture, and all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. And the key word there is reconciled, and we'll go through there as we go along. And hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now, verse 20, Now then we are ambassadors of Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God, for he hath made him to be sin for us, Who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's an amazing little passage of scripture. So much good theology is right there in those three, four verses of scripture that we have. Now, if you look at your sheet there, and I know I'm going to be reading some of this, but hopefully you kind of follow along and and, um, be nice to me by looking at me and saying, yeah, okay, I understand as we go along. In the 11th century, the then Archbishop of Canterbury, Anselm, wrote a book entitled, Why God Became a Man. The answer to that question that he posed is really found in these verses in 2 Corinthians. The great theme of reconciliation. There is, of course, an underlying assumption, namely, that mankind is alienated from God. You wouldn't have any need for reconciliation if there wasn't alienation. So he says, when two friends are on good terms, the question of reconciliation does not arise. And there is no need for it. Why make, why make up when there's nothing, we have no quarrels? And there's going to be times. I've been married just about 49 years in December. Have we ever had a, a quarrel or disagreement? Mm, few. <laughs> and I've learned those, you know, 
words that every man learns. Yes, ma'am. And, but we go on, and we have a, a good relationship. But, but most of the time, we're on the same page. And so reconciliation isn't something that Kathy and I have to do often. And you now we have times where we've disagreed about stuff, but not, not that, that serious. But anyway, so you notice there in the outline there, the Bible, however, takes it for granted that there is a rift between the Almighty and ourselves. The Bible talks about the fact that we're sinners. We can't do anything. We are dead in our trespasses and sin, the Apostle Paul says. That there's nothing that we can do to earn merit or whatever salvation. It's a free gift. But we have to understand the free gift because there's a rift. There's a divide. It's like, um, I remember a number of years ago, I took a group of teenagers to um, Nova Scotia and then to, um, uh, what's the island above it? Brenta, no. One to the to the east, um, what? No, uh, close. And um, ah. no. Anyway, it's a large island where our missionary Chris Hess is. No, she she's in an island above Nova Scotia. It's part of Nova Scotia, but it's an island. I'll think about it after I leave. Cape Breton, no, yes, Cape Breton, okay. Okay, so she's up there. And so I took a group of missionary kids, or took teenage kids on a missions trip. And she is a wonderful single-lady missionary. I loved it. We talked about the fact of maybe taking a um, 50-year marriage anniversary trip and go up to see the missionaries that we know in Nova Scotia. We love that area. Kathy and I have been there three times with her, and, um, and just spend some time with those missionaries that we know there and with, with Chris. She's up, way up in the northern part, Cape Breton. She lives right on the mouth of the St. Lawrence Seaway. And it's, a, it's, a, it's not a heavily populated area. The village that she lives in is 250 people. And she's a single gal and she's been there for probably 25 years. And we like to go up there and visit her, and we help with doing vacation Bible schools for all the children's clubs that she does all during the school year. And in the summertime, she puts on VBSs with any groups that come to visit her. So we've done that three or four times. And our sons Daniel and Drew have been there. And they enjoy, they love Chris Hess. And she's great. But we decided that afterwards, as something fun to do, is that we're going to take a side trip over to Prince Edward Island, PEI, and they have a town there that is a recreation of Anna Green Gables area. And it's beautiful. But, and then you go from there over to New Brunswick, and you have this five-mile bridge. It's enormous. And uh, it's not real old, it's fairly new, but five miles long. Now, there was a huge chasm there between Prince Edward Island. If you've ever been to Prince Edward Island, it's beautiful to have red sand there. Oh, it's gorgeous. 
you know, Anna Green Gables, it talks about that. And so then you go over to, to um, um, New Brunswick across this huge bridge. And you can't even see New Brunswick from the beginning. You just go and go and go and go on this bridge, and then finally you come there. Now, in this situation, the rift that we have is a moral and spiritual rift, where the bridge I was talking to was a physical rift as far as land to land and what you have in between. When we have a moral and spiritual rift between us and God, there's no way we can span that. We can't on our own. And so the Apostle Paul talks about where did that reconciliation come from? Well, let's go back to our seat and look. I'll kind of keep going here. A second paragraph. When there is a breach in our human relationship, the person who is to blame is expected to take the first step to, do the, to get, put things right. The one who acted badly should apologize. We kind of think that way. But the gospel of Christ turns it on its head completely around because verse 19 says, God was in Christ reconciling the word to whom? To himself. Who was offended? God's offended. Who doesn't even know he offends? We don't, probably don't think of it that way. But we are the, the ones who are offending God, and yet instead of us coming to God, God came to us. He did the initiation. It was God who did this through the penalty and the payment of Jesus Christ on the cross. The offended God takes the initiative to offer pardon. That is what the Apostle Paul is really trying to get across here in chapter 5. Notice the huge blessing in the middle of the verse. Not imputing their trespasses unto them. That means that the Almighty God will never demand satisfaction from us. What a blessing. God doesn't come to us and say, okay, if you want to be reconciled to me, this is what you got to do. Now, that we may do that to our children. <laughs> our parents may have done it to us. But God, in a sense, is not doing that for us. That all that was done for us as a free gift for us because of his love for us. Now, notice what it says here. That means the Almighty God would never demand satisfaction. That is because... Christ was made, the verse that we had in verse 21, made to be sin for us. All of our sin, all the world's sin, collectively was put on the Lord Jesus when he died on the cross for us. Paul never lost, and here's a great word, he never lost the wonderment of this thought when he announced that we are ambassadors for Christ in verse 20. We get a chance to be tell about this wonderful God who reconciled us, paid the price for us. We didn't have to. This huge rift that was caused by our sin, and that rift is a moral and spiritual one, and we can't span it. And Christ did all of that for us, and then turned around and allowed us to be ambassadors for him, to carry his message. We have the task and privilege of spreading the gospel of reconciling love, verse 18. Now, this is a little interesting statement here. Monarchs are often sought out by beggars, yet the God of heaven stoops to offer reconciliation to us. Uh, I've got time. My dad 
Um, my dad didn't grow up in a godly home. Uh, it was a businessman's home. His dad was a president of a company that his father had started. And so my dad grew up in this very it was an unsafe home, but my, my grandparents were good people, but not necessarily godly people. And when my dad really started coming to know the Lord, and his life began to change, and I could see it changing, and growing up for the Lord, he learned to appreciate godly pastors. He loved to go hear them preach. He loved to support them. And it was, it was really good to see my dad grow in that way. And my dad had two very dear friends in the ministry. Uh, one was Dr. Bob Jones, Jr. Some of you would know he's been here at Colonial before. At the time, he was president of Bob Jones University. He's a great man of God. The other was pastor of um, the church in Columbus that started the Ohio Bible Fellowship. His name was William E. Ashbrook. William E. Ashbrook was a great separatist, godly, good preacher, expository preacher, Presbyterian to the core, but didn't go along with such things as infant baptism or covenant theology. He was a dispensationalist through and through. And my dad loved to hear him preach. Somewhere along the way, Calvary Bible Church had more kids at Bob Jones University back in the early 70s than any other church in America. I mean, the church was only about 250 people, and yet they had 31 kids at the school at one time. Something happened where there was, became a rift between Pastor Ashbrook and Dr. Jones. And it bugged my dad to death. And my dad hated to see this rift, and it went on for years. And my dad loved both of the men and didn't understand all the implications or why, but he just wanted to see them reconciled to each other. So my dad did a little devious thing. My dad knew that Dr. Jones was coming to Columbus for some reason, somewhere. There's a number of churches in the area that supported the school. And so we asked if we could have dinner with him at a very nice restaurant in Columbus. It might have been Johnny Marzetti's. Those of you who are familiar with Marzetti's cold salsa, well, Marzetti was, his first name was Johnny, and he had a restaurant in Columbus on Olentangy River Road, or Indianola Road, and see, I know my restaurants in Columbus. Anyway, um, <laughs> He had a restaurant there before he had the nationwide outreach of his coleslaw stuff and wherever else he made. And so he had this great Italian restaurant. So my dad invited Dr. Jones to eat there with him. What Dr. Jones did not know was my dad also invited Pastor Ashbrook to come. And they both met there and had to face each other. And my dad says, I'm going to leave the room. And I want you guys to come back. I want to come back and see you guys together. And the Lord did a great work. And the next week, um, Pastor Ashford came down to the 
university to visit the kids that he had there. He hadn't set foot on the campus for years because of this rift. And what started was not important, but the issue was this fact that there was reconciliation. And I was delighted to see how it happened. I can say that today because both of those men are with the Lord. And, but you look back and realize what God did in a great work in that. So that's why that sentence is there. Religion is man's feeble attempt to reconcile to God. In other words, man wants to meet God on their terms. It's always the way it is in their world. Um, and I give the illustration of seeing the Mormon tabernacle in Salt Lake City and taking a tour there. I did that back in the early 70s. It's beautiful, and it's convincing, but it's false. Because they make it up. How can anything that magnificent and seemingly family-friendly, and I love their music, how can anything like that be wrong? Well, I've taken the tour, and the tour is, is amazing. Until you ask them, so what do you believe? What is your doctrine? What, 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 are you, what is the tenets of Mormonism? And then you start seeing all the flaws and the difficulties that, that they believe and realize it's heresy. I can't go along with it. But man, gorgeous facilities, amazing stuff. And they have the largest genealogy there of any place in the world because they feel like you can all come there and be baptized for all of your non-Mormon relationships, friends and family. It is very corrupt in that way. Now notice this. Next paragraph. Another key to the idea of this section of Scripture. I told you that reconciliation is a great word. Another word is the word of imputation. I talked to you about this before. And really the idea is there's a double imputation. That is, it works both ways. That all of our sins, the word imputation means put in your account. It's an accounting term. So that's put on that ledger. So all of my sins were laid on Christ. But the, but the reverse of it, of the imputation, is Christ's righteousness was imputed into us. And that's amazing. It's not just that we get to have our sins forgiven, but we get Christ's righteousness embedded into us. And that's why we enjoy that scripture and all that that we have in the Lord is because of double imputation. It's a great theological understanding of what Christ does for us. All right, let's go to the next paragraph. There's a great illustration in the New Testament about this idea of reconciliation. This is at the bottom of the page. It's not on the backside, I don't think. There's a great illustration in the New Testament with the story of the master Philemon and his runaway servant Onesimus, who had stolen from his master Philemon. For that crime, Onesimus could have been crucified, but he ran, and he ran into the Apostle Paul. And while he was having the opportunity to be with the Apostle Paul, he was converted. And the Apostle Paul had the opportunity to see his life change. Paul then sends this letter back to Onesimus. If you have your Bibles, let's go there. Philemon, it's only one chapter. So as he's writing this, 
The Apostle Paul, knowing that Philemon could have him arrested, even crucified, and he pleads with him as a brother in the Lord. Look at verse 17. He says, If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. Wow. Receive him? This servant? This servant who stole from me? This servant who ran away from me? You want me, the master, to see him as important as the Apostle Paul. That's what he's saying to him. If thou hast, if he has wronged thee, or oweth thee aught, put that on my account. I, Paul, have written it with my own hand. I will repay it. But yet he talks about how much he loves him and care for him. And he has confidence. He says in verse 21, having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee. In other words, the Apostle Paul is saying, I know what you're going to do. I just know. Because you're a godly man, and you understand forgiveness. And you understand reconciliation. And this is a great example of somebody who the least did not, not uh, deserve it at all. But he gave it to him that way. And that's a great passage to look at that idea of reconciliation. Now go to the backside. A little illustration here. In the Roman Empire, there were two kinds of provinces, senatorial provinces and imperial provinces. Now, I've given you a little thing in, in uh, that senatorial means, in these parentheses, submissive and surrendered. In other words, there were portions of the Roman Empire that people didn't fight back. They just said, eh, okay, we'll pay you tribute. Just don't kill us. And we'll serve you. We'll pay for you. We'll let your people come here. And those people are senatorial provinces. So they get some representation. But now notice the other. Imperial provinces. Those who might consider fighting or rebelling. So the Roman Empire had those provinces that they didn't trust. So with those provinces, to make sure that there was no rebellion would break out, that they would send ambassadors to these provinces to live there to watch what was going on because they didn't think they would be trustworthy. This sinful world is an imperial, imperial province, and it is set on rebellion. We, as God's people, we send a message of reconciliation to them. What a privilege, the Apostle Paul talks about us being an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And the word ambassador, because of the idea of the provinces, people would understand what that meant. Notice the last thing. In conclusion of this matter, before we pray, notice three lessons to learn. Number one, we share the Apostle Paul's sense of accountability. Now that's back where we were in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and that would be in verse 11. That the, that the words are, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciousness. So the Apostle Paul knows we have accountability, and people have accountability. So that's important to remember. Now, based on that, number two, we share Paul's understanding of the love of Christ. Skip down to verse 14. Verse 14, 
for the love of Christ constrains us, constraineth us. That's a great word. We've looked at that before. And it's, it's the idea, I, I can't do anything other. It's, it's, just, it's just something I have to do. Because we thus judge that if, they, if one died for all, then we are all dead, and that he died for all, then we which are alive, we which live, should not henceforth live unto, unto themselves, but unto him which have died for them and rose again for them. So he's saying here, we share Paul's understanding of the love of Christ. Our reaction to this love is not merely self-centered um, enjoyment. We don't say, oh, isn't it nice God loves me? I'm just going to enjoy that for myself. No, he says, we persuade men. We have to. We're ambassadors. But there's a sense of obligation that God's people ought to manifest of this great love that we have that should affect the whole of our behavior. And then number three, lesson to learn. Do we see others from the same vantage point as the Apostle Paul did? Look at verse 16. It says, Wherefore, henceforth, know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. In other words, we want to know people by what their lives are like for the Lord. So we have the same vantage point as the Apostle Paul. Do we see people in the light of eternity? Or do we see him as a friend that we just enjoy doing stuff with or somebody that will help us advance in our careers? Do we see people the way the Apostle Paul asks us to see them? Ambassador is somebody who represents the king or the president or whatever, and he's there to be able to say, this is what the president would say. This is what the king would want you to do. So that's an ambassador. We are ambassadors for Christ. Therefore, we have a chance to be able to give the gospel. We have a chance to say, this is who God is. And the Apostle Paul says, we have that obligation. And so that's why 2 Corinthians is such a good passage, especially those last three or four verses in talking about us as far as being ambassadors for Christ. What a great opportunity we have in the Lord in that way. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.